Good evening. I'll give you a, a warm welcome as we meet to, to worship our God, whether we're here or whether you are joining us online. Just one notice, there are refreshments after the service tonight. If you could go and collect your tea or coffee and bring them back into the chapel, I think there's some setting up going on in the Sunday school, but so refreshments later. Well, let's, let's join together. I'm going to read a, a few verses from Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. It's very positive, isn't it, as an approach to coming to worship to God. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but our hearts don't feel as positive as what the psalmist does when he writes them. But our first hymn is a prayer. And as Joe puts, come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And that's what we want, don't we? Our hearts to be tuned to sing God's praise. And we've got no pianist tonight, so let's stand as the music starts.
Well, shall we turn to our God in prayer? Let's, let's pray. Almighty God, as we, we come to you in prayer, we ask that you would help us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be amongst us, that he would be tuning our hearts to connect to you. We pray that we would come in, in humbleness as you are our God, as you are our creator, and as you are our king. But we come also thankful that you are our father. And we pray that, and we come before you, and we confess that it's not because of anything we have done. Lord, we know our own lives are sinful. But we can only have that peace with you. It can only be through the restorating work of the Lord Jesus, through his willingness to leave heaven above and to die and to take the punishment of all those who will come in faith, asking for their sins to be forgiven, believing that his death on the cross meant they could have that peace with you. Knowing that, Father God, you are are happy with that sacrificial death because he you, rose, you raised him from the dead. And Lord, he's not here now, but he's risen with you, seated at your right hand. Lord, interceding for us now. Lord, he is the first to have gone back through death into heaven. And many more will follow him afterwards. And we thank you that amongst us here, there will be those that when we die, we will join you in the heavenly places. But Lord God, we acknowledge that that there are some here, there are some that we know and love who do not know you as their saviour. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts, would work in their lives, would show them their need of a a saviour, would convict them of their sin, would point them to Jesus. And Lord, we ask that they would be added to your kingdom even this night. Lord, each of us have those on our hearts that we bring before you regularly in prayer, knowing that you are a God who can change. And we pray that you would work mightily. Lord, we pray in our lives that we would be aware of our need for the Holy Spirit every day. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that We feel independent and we feel capable and we feel in control. Lord God, we pray that we would never be far from you. We pray that we would never be far from that realisation that we need you. And we pray that that would affect our lives as we live our lives in thankfulness and dependence on you. Lord God, we want to... uh, bring before you the events as we run up to Christmas. We thank you that we have these opportunities, Lord, that we can talk to people about Jesus. At this time of year, people are a little bit more open to hearing about you. And we pray that as we invite people, that they would be willing to come. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be preparing their hearts to receive uh, the message that Jesus saves. We ask that you would give us boldness 
in our inviting. And we pray there will be willingness to come. Lord, we want to thank you for uh, the ladies that heard a gospel message uh, this past week in the Holy Wreath. Uh, We pray that that message would not be taken away, but Lord would uh, go into good ground and produce fruit to your honour and to your glory. Lord, we think of this coming week and Lord, we pray for Mark as he goes into Groombridge. Lord, he has that opportunity to speak to those children. We're so thankful that, Lord, you encourage the children to come to you. We're so thankful that no one is too young. And Lord, we're so thankful that no one is too old to hear the gospel and respond. And we pray for First Tuesday. Lord, that as they come, that, Lord, they appreciate a good meal. And we're glad to provide them a good meal. But Lord, we long to see them come to know you as their saviour. Lord God, we we are challenged, Lord, by the recent survey that says that under 50% of this country is Christian. And Lord, and already we are hearing voices of people wanting to use that to stop religious events and going into schools. Lord God, we pray that you would give our government wisdom. Lord, may they look to you for guidance. We pray that we would still have these opportunities And that Satan would not be able to use this survey as a means of stopping the spread of your word and talking about Jesus. Lord God, we also remember those who have lost loved ones recently and we commit them to you. Lord, and we ask that you would be with them, that they would know your comfort and your blessing and your presence. Lord God, we also think this week of David Kinderman and his wife-to-be, Laura. We pray that you would bless them as they get married on Wednesday. We We pray that the day would go well and that your hand would be upon it. But Lord God, we pray that you would become part of their marriage, that you would become part of their lives and that we would see they want to follow you. Lord God, we ask that so your name would have all the honour and all the glory. Lord God, we think of, of countries, Lord, that are struggling at the moment. We especially commit to you, Ukraine, our Lord, and that horrible situation there. We're just so thankful that you're a God who is in charge, and when you choose to stop it, it will stop. Lord, as we, as we see the bloodshed, as we see the violence, Lord, we ask that you would bring peace. Lord, we pray through it somehow, you would bring honour and glory to your name. And Lord, and you have a wonderful way of bringing good from bad. And we ask that through this you would bring good from bad. We also remember the persecuted church. We remember those people, your people, who are struggling because of the countries that they are in. Lord, not wanting them to be following you. Lord God, we pray that they would be looking to you for strength. Um, knowing that you're a God who can strengthen them in whatever situation that they find themselves in. Lord God, we ask that as Mark brings your word to us, that we would realise that it is you speaking through him. Lord, as this is a challenging passage, we pray our hearts would be open to you speaking to us. And we pray that through it, 
you would bless us and we would bring you honour and glory for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to stand and sing our next song, which is, O Church, Arise and Put Your Armour On for the Call of Christ, Our Captain. Let's stand and sing when Joe starts the music. As many of you know that we have been doing the, the, ch- the letters to the churches in Revelation and tonight Mark is going to preach from 
the, the letter to the seventh church, which is the church in Laodicea. If you can turn to me in Revelation uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse 14. So Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say... I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And before Mark comes and preaches from that passage, we're, we're going to sing our next song, which is, O breath of life, come sweeping through us, revive thy church with life and power. O breath of life, come cleanse, renew us, and fit thy church to meet this hour. And as we sing, perhaps we can pray this as Joe starts with the music.
Well, the Apostle John picks up his pen one last time. He's already written six letters. They're in their envelopes. The church addresses are written on the envelopes. We see Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. But the postman's going to have to make one more delivery. Because after Philadelphia, he's going to have to travel a few miles southeast to Laodicea. See it there on the map. John's already written to a loveless church. He's written to a dead church. He's written to a suffering church. He's written to a search church. He's written to a weak church. And he's written to a mixed church. The truth is that most of these churches have been a bit mixed. There's been commendations and rebukes along the way. Even the dead church, Sardis, had a a small commendation. There were a few that were faithful, a few that were loyal to Jesus in that church. But there's no commendation at all in this last letter. There's nothing good that is going to be said to Laodicea. It's probably the best known letter out of all of them. I think it helps that uh, Laodicea and Lukewarm both start with L. Helps most people remember that. But it's a deeply challenging letter. And there are things in this letter that we need to know and we need to hear. So what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look, as it were, over John's shoulder as he's writing this letter. And we're going to see what's being said to the church at Laodicea. So he starts writing to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Now, just a reminder, the angel there probably doesn't mean the sort of angel we think of at Christmas, but probably the elder or pastor of the church. So to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. John isn't just writing out his thoughts to the church here, what he thinks. He's writing the words of Jesus. In each uh, of the letters, Jesus is described differently uh, from Revelation 1. Here he's described as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, I could spend ages on this description. I'm not going to. We could simply sum it up, or I think we could, as Amen. So all God's promises are certain and guaranteed through Jesus. He's the faithful and true witness. What he will say is completely true and trustworthy. And he's the beginning of God's creation. It doesn't mean that he was the first thing that God created. It means that he was a source of all creation. He's the ruler over all creation. So this is the one who is speaking to the church at Laodicea. So these words are worth listening to. There's some serious weight behind these words that are being spoken. This is what Jesus says. I know your works... You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. Just like the other churches, Jesus knows this church's works. He knows all about them. And there are no positives that he sees. This is his summary. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. Now the church at Laodicea would have really got this point. 
And a little background will help us here. Some of you will know this, but a good number of you may not. So I'll, I'll share it with you. Near to, um, near to Laodicea, there was Heropolis. And uh, that was to the north, and Colossae was to the south. Now, in Heropolis, they had these hot springs that produced this wonderful warm water. And it was brilliant for sort of bathing. Um, it was like a hot bath, but they used it for sort of medical purposes as well, healing ailments, that sort of thing. So people loved the hot springs. In Colossae, to the south, there was uh, really cold water that came down from the mountains. So it was lovely and refreshing to drink. And uh, it was invigorating. Well, Laodicea had no water supply of its own. To function as a city, it had to pipe water in from elsewhere. And so one of the things they did is they had these aqueducts that brought water from Heropolis. But of course, by the time it got there, it wasn't hot. It was lukewarm. And uh, you can actually see the terracotta pipes today that brought that water. And there's photographs of it. And what you notice is that the pipes are really thin because of all the lime sediment that sort of um, built up around the pipes, all the lime deposits. So this water was both lukewarm but also full of sediment. And the basic idea is that it was disgusting. Everyone knew that the water in Laodicea was disgusting. Now, like a good number of you, I enjoy a, a coffee, a good cup of coffee. I know some of you enjoy tea. But in the summer... I also love a frappe, an iced coffee. They're good. One of the things I love is seeing all the YPs dash into the coffee shop and get a frappe, and they're all holding them very excitedly. They're, they're really good. They're, they're cold, they're refreshing, taste great. You see, a hot coffee is good, and a really cold coffee is good, but lukewarm is not. As I was uh, preparing for this message uh, this week, I made myself a coffee, um, got into what I was doing, looked up quite a long time later, and there was the coffee sat there. And I thought, well, this could be an interesting test for Sunday night. So I gave it a bit of a test. And uh, needless to say, a few seconds later, it was all poured down the sink. And the kettle was boiling for another one because it was disgusting. It's not good. It was tepid. You know, you want, if you're going to have a coffee, you want it to be either hot or cold. Lukewarm is disgusting. And the church at Laodicea is described as lukewarm. It's what Jesus says. Many of us know this, but I think this must have been a real shock the first time a lot of people read this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. When visitors went to Laodicea and they tried the water, a lot of them spat the water out straight away because it was so disgusting. They weren't accustomed to it. They couldn't stomach it. And this is how the church at Laodicea made Jesus feel. He felt like spitting it out. It It repulsed him. It was disgusting to him. And Jesus explains why this church was so disgusting to him. That's what he says. John writes, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. This is what the church felt. I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Here was a church that had a very different view of itself to how Jesus viewed the church. If you were to go up and ask a member of the Laodicean church, how are things going? They'd say, it's great. We're we're doing really well. The bank accounts are full. We've got everything we need. We're doing just fine. Times are good. It was a proud and it was a self-sufficient church that reflected the city that it was in. So in AD 60, 
Laodicea uh, experienced an earthquake. And quite a lot of the, the cities around there uh, were already impacted by this earthquake. And um, the emperor offered them money, but they refused. They said, it's fine, we're, we'll do it ourselves. So they paid themselves. They were self-sufficient. They didn't want help from outside. And the church was kind of the same. We've got plenty of resources. We'll be fine. And it led to this sort of self-sufficiency in the church that pushed Jesus out. They became self-dependent. They became indifferent. It generated this lukewarm temperature in the church. John Wesley once said this. He said that revivals often don't last long. Real revivals. And the reason is, is because people are saved and everything prospers. People come along to church. At work, people work a lot harder. Uh, There's profits coming in. Everything is good. But so quickly... People become self-sufficient, self-dependent. The feeling for God and the need for God dwindles and prayer starts to falter. Jesus says, doesn't he, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And it's very hard to feel needy when you're rich. And isn't that partly why it's difficult sometimes? Thankfully, not all the time, but difficult sometimes to share the good news of Jesus with people in Crowborough. Because people are rich. A lot of people have got pretty much everything they want. And so people think, well, why do I want Jesus? My life's great. I've got what I need. And, you know, we need to be incredibly watchful, I think, as a church. Because we here in Forest Fold are incredibly privileged. We live in England, obviously. But more than that, we live in a very desirable place in the southeast of England. And while this cost of living crisis does mean that some of us may have to watch our pennies a little bit more carefully, there are still many things in our life that we count as necessities that for many people in the world, there would be extreme luxuries. And as a church, we have so many resources, don't we? We may look at other churches and wish we had what they had sometimes, but in reality, we have so many resources. We've got a healthy bank account. We've got a good number of people. We've got lots of activities going on. We've got a good library. (laughs) Do we still feel like we need God? Because I think one of the, the biggest dangers that we might face, and we will face... At Forest Fold is the danger of thinking that we're self-sufficient, not depending on God enough, because we've got so much. Do we still feel like we need God? Well, if you're not sure what the answer to that is, it can be fairly simple to work out. Here's how you do it. You think about how much you pray. And then you think about when you do pray, why do you pray? Do we pray because we realise that every day and every week we are utterly dependent on him and know that without him nothing of eternal good can be done? See, if not, then 
Have we become self-dependent? Perhaps indifferent to God? Perhaps lukewarm? You know, there weren't many blessings during COVID. But one of them was that it shook people out of this self-dependence, this self-sufficiency. And the searches on Google, including the term uh, prayer, shot up. People prayed. Suddenly things are outside of our control. You know, riches on earth, sadly, often mean spiritual poverty. Often there's a link between riches on earth and spiritual poverty. You know, it's very easy, isn't it, for us to look at persecuted churches, or maybe, you know, churches, say, in Papua New Guinea, and to look at them and think about how wealthy we are. You know, we've got all the resources, we've got the people, we've got the technology. We, we need to support them and teach them, and that's true, there's an element of that, absolutely. But there's also an element, perhaps, where we need to listen to them. Because a lot of those churches are incredibly spiritually rich. And they can teach us a lot. Laodicea had so many resources. But Jesus' verdict of the church cuts right through all of that. Jesus says, you say that you are rich and that you don't need anything. But actually, you are poor and blind and naked. They're the complete opposite to Smyrna. Do you remember Smyrna? A few weeks ago now. Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, brackets, but you are rich. I know your poverty, brackets, but you are rich. That was Smyrna. Laodicea is the opposite. And once again, a bit of history will help us sort of get Laodicea, because Laodicea would have understood this more than us. So a bit of history will help us, not much. Um, You see, Laodicea was famous for three things, particularly. So it was a a famous commercial centre, so it was very wealthy, had a lot of money. Also, it's famous for its medicine. So nearby, there was a pretty famous uh, medical centre where they uh, particularly specialised in eyes and eye diseases, and they had this special sort of eye ointment that was meant to be pretty good. And the third thing was clothing. So they had this black wool that they used to make these garments, Uh, So it's famous for its wealth, its medicine, and its clothing. And so Jesus uses this to teach them about what they really like. He says, you've got all this money, but you're spiritually poor. You've got that eye medicine, but you're spiritually blind. You've got all that clothing, but you're spiritually naked. This is what John Stott writes about this. He says they are beggars or they are poor because they have nothing with which to purchase their forgiveness or an entry into the kingdom of God. They are naked because they have no clothes to fit them to stand before God. Nothing that they can wear in God's presence that will allow them to stay there. They are blind because they have no idea either of their spiritual poverty or of their spiritual danger. They think they're rich, but they're blind to just how poor they are. So what do they need to do? Well, strangely, they need to go shopping. But they're not going shopping to Laodicea, they're going shopping to Jesus. You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus' marketplace is that everything's completely free. Some of your minds will immediately be going to Isaiah 55. 
Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Jesus' marketplace is free. And what can we buy there? What does Jesus tell the Laodiceans to, to go and buy? He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Gold refined by fire, not just any old gold. Pure gold. True riches. You may not have much in your bank account here. But if you go to Christ, that is how you can be truly rich. Oops, sorry. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Well, God provided um, animal skins beneath Adam and Eve in the garden to cover their, their shame. But here, he provides white garments. White garments that would have stood in major contrast to the, the black um, of the woolen garments in Laodicea. But white garments signifying purity. White garments that would allow them to stand and enjoy the presence of God without being cast out. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The local medical school may be famous for its eye ointment, but it can't compare to the eye ointment that Jesus gives. The eye ointment, the eye salve that opens up our eyes to spiritual things. You know, we can really struggle to believe this sometimes. But you know, when we come to Jesus with longing in our hearts for something, he always gives us better than what we can find elsewhere. I think we struggle to believe that sometimes, I know I do. But he always gives us something better than what we're longing for elsewhere. Where well, the Laodiceans had disgusted Jesus, their lukewarmness meant that he felt like spitting them out of his mouth. But don't you see his heart here? The Laodiceans have nothing to commend themselves. And yet Jesus says, come to me. Come freely to me. Jesus' rebuke doesn't stem from a sort of angry, hateful a sort of angry, hateful place of, of judgment. It's a strong rebuke, yes, but it comes propelled by love. This is what he says, verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Laodicea was indifferent to him, self-sufficient, it was lukewarm. But he doesn't destroy them. He doesn't just leave them. Instead, he pursues them. He pursues them to correct them and to discipline them so that they may understand where they've gone wrong and they may turn back to God. And they may experience the, the true source of riches and life. You know, we don't like being rebuked, do we? Or disciplined, I certainly don't anyway. But doesn't it change our perspective a little bit? when we know that Jesus' discipline comes from a broken heart that is full of love for us, that wants what's best for us. So be zealous and repent. The Laodiceans needed to repent. They needed to turn around, to change of direction. There needed to be a desire to live with Jesus again as king. And if you feel rebuked by God tonight, 
you're listening to this and you're thinking, maybe this is for me. I feel lukewarm. Don't just go away and forget about it. Repent. Repent. But also, don't forget that Jesus does this. He rebukes us because he loves us. But if the Laodiceans hadn't realised by this point that Jesus loves them, they certainly should do with this next bit. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, many of us enjoy a good meal with friends, don't we? It's one of the, the joys of um, a good meal, sharing, bonding together. But in Bible times, meals were really significant. They lasted for hours often, and um, they were a real sign of friendship and fellowship. And Jesus is at the door knocking. He wants to join them. He wants to enjoy fellowship together. But do you get why he has to knock? Why does Jesus have to knock? He has to knock because he's on the outside. What's he on the outside of? He's on the outside of the church. That's what he's on the outside of. The reason this church began in the first place is because Jesus gave his life for these people so that they could be saved. That's how the church began. And now he's on the outside longing to be let into the church so that they'll accept him and that he can bless them. Could it be for us tonight that we've come to church and we've left Jesus outside? Could it be that Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts but slowly and surely we've we've pushed him out? become indifferent to him, to his presence. If truth be told, we've become lukewarm. Or maybe that's you tonight. If it is, open the door, welcome him in, and he promises that he will come in and he will feast with you. And I just want to say as well, this is true for those of you who may be here tonight who have never welcomed Jesus into your heart once. Maybe you've never done it before. You know, Jesus knocks at your heart too. He says, I want to come in. I want to live in you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. If you've never welcomed Jesus in, I want to encourage you to do it. You'll never do something better. Jesus doesn't just offer us clothing and eye salve and gold. He offers us himself. Well, we're nearly done. But in each of the letters, we receive a a promise from Jesus for those who conquer. Those who follow him right to the end. This promise seems to me to be the most amazing out of all of them. They're all pretty special. But listen to this as a promise. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus grants us to sit with him on his throne if we conquer. Just as Jesus conquered, it came up in that hymn actually. I hadn't noticed that until we sang it. 
But just as Jesus conquered, and he was raised to heaven to sit on the throne with his father, so too if we conquer, if we persevere, if we're faithful to the end, Jesus will raise us up to that same throne to rule with him. I don't think I'd ever really registered that promise before. But that's something pretty special, isn't it? And the letter finishes in the same way that they all have done. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's the letter to Laodicea. My hope by going through it is that if you look at it again in the Bible, you'll understand more of what it's saying if you didn't already. But let's just have a few moments to think about some of the things that have been raised in that letter that true for them may be true for us. So let's have a few moments and then I'll pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for even this letter. Lord, it's been challenging to look at. Lord, many of us may feel rebuked. Lord, it's strong language that you use against the Laodiceans. But Lord, we thank you so much that that discipline, that rebuke comes from a heart of love. Lord, that you long to feast with them. You long to have fellowship with them, to bless them more than they've ever been blessed before. And Lord, that is true for us today too. Lord, I pray for anyone who is lukewarm, for anyone who's become indifferent, for anyone who's pushed you out. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would repent. Lord, that they would welcome you in. Lord, that they would live again with you in their hearts and that they may be burning brightly for you. Lord, we pray this for each and every one of us. Lord, help us now as we sing, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing our last song. And as we sing, just think carefully about the words.
God, we thank you for the seven letters to the seven churches. Lord, there's been a real mixture in there. Some have good and some bad elements to the churches. Lord, we thank you for the good in those churches. Lord, where there is sin or a lack of love for you, or where we've taken on the values of this culture more than we should have done, Lord, we pray that we'd repent. Lord, we've been... Reminded as well that a faithful living for Jesus will lead to persecution. Lord, some of the churches really experience this. Difficult times. Lord, we've been reminded that Jesus doesn't tell us we won't have them, but rather that he'll preserve us through them. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember as well those amazing promises to those who conquer made at the end of each letter. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed firmly on eternity. And Lord, help us to remember that Jesus is king. Lord, he is the one who has all things under his command. He's sovereign. And he's the one who will come and judge the world. Lord, help us to worship him now while there's time. So Lord, we thank you for these letters and the many things they've taught us. Lord, I pray that it will have a lasting impact on us as a church for your good and for the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.